1: Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We're going to have some fun in a little bit, trying to envision the rosters for a potential season kickoff game, should we be able to have one later this summer. Uh, First, we are going to dig into some fun tweets by baseball's best pitchers about the pitches they admire the most. Uh, But also, Matt, I know that without actual baseball on you and I and probably every baseball fan, we have been filling our time with. Classic baseball games. And I I really, I want to know, I guess, first, which games have you been focusing on? uh, And and what have your takeaways been?
0: Um, I've mostly been going deep into like the, the, some older games into the 80s, because I think sometimes it's fun to watch games where you don't really remember that much of the details. Um, uh, And then I watched one more recent game, uh, the game one of the 2015 NLCS Mets Cubs, which I was at, uh, which like some things I definitely did not remember. So um, I'll start with a couple games I watched um, uh, from 86. You'll notice that these are all Mets games uh, that I'm referring to. The first one is game three of the 1986 NLCS uh, Mets Mets Astros. And the full game's on YouTube and the MLB Classics YouTube page. I highly recommend it. If only the pregame show is epic in its own right. It opens with this like detailed like a mini documentary about Queens and like the seven train and all like the different neighborhoods. It's almost like, almost like a PBS documentary. It's kind of fascinating. They kind of go through like all the different like ethnic groups in Queens and how the seven train is like this, like uh, this artery that runs through all of it. It's really well done. And then that segues into a Tim McCarver interview with Kevin Bass, the Astros outfielder who does a dead on Sammy Davis Jr. impression. Um, so it's, and from there, the game just, the game just gets better. Um, What jumped out to me about the game, beyond the fact that just like, like, it's just like almost like watching a different sport, you know, like all the things you hear about. Yes, the pace of play is better. The pitchers do not, you know, take 20 seconds every time to basically throw it as hard as they possibly can every time. With no runners on base, they get the ball and they just throw it. But the one thing that jumped out to me most about watching this game in particular, uh, game three, was that like, I found like when there were close calls, they weren't questioned. There was like this like stolen base play where it was like a, like a a bang bang play at second base. and like a slap tag by Rafael Santana and like Tim McCarver just kind of was like, Oh, Santana's got to get the tag down faster. Like there was no debate about the fact that like the runner was very likely out. And it was just like the kind of thing that would have been like litigated. I'm not, and to be clear, I'm not saying now is better or worse. It was just different. It was just like, there was no question that like the call might've been incorrect it was just like oh santana gotta got get the tag down quicker when like there's a very good chance the runner the runner was out and that you went.
1: were you were watching game three right yeah game three of that series i was uh watching game five of that series because I, I i think mlb network was probably replaying like the whole series the other day which i assume we were watching the same thing of and you know what the first thing that stood out to me actually there's th- the first two things the first was that uh yes tim mccarver was on the on the call but the play-by-play guy was keith Jackson who I have always thought of as like a, a football voice. Like to hear him calling baseball is, I guess, a little bit weird to me. One thing that stood out is, so this game goes 12 innings. Um, and in like the 10th or so, he does a game reset. And he says something along the lines of, uh, if you're just getting home from work, you know, you, you can pick this one up. And I'm thinking about, this, like, wait a minute, just, when did this game start? It was a one thirty start on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, which is... Weird, I guess, because yes, we have that now when there are like multiple games to be played, like there's a one, four, seven, ten. Uh, but this was the NLCS. And I think the Red Sox game was, they were saying like the next night or something. Uh, it was, it was interesting to me that, to see the game being started like that. The other thing that stood out to me, uh, and this is uniform, you know, minutiae, which I know everybody loves. The Astros at the time had the famous tequila sunrise uniforms with like the orange, red and, and yellow stripes that they would wear horizontally across the chest at home. Uh, and their road uniforms have the racing stripes down the sides, much like the Mets did. But they were also white. I'm told officially they're off-white, whatever. They looked white. So this was a rare white-on-white matchup, which is so weird to think about in terms of baseball context. Um, I, I I really got a kick out of watching it just because it's like a time capsule. You know, like they showed Ray Knight's wife and I forget who, Wayne Dykstra's wife.
0: Nancy yes. Said. Ray Knight was married to LPGA star Nancy Lopez. Absolutely.
1: Nancy Lopez, for sure. You know, it's like the hair, the glasses, all of it's a, a time capsule. Um, Charlie Kerfeld came in and he, you know, had like the, the glasses that like my aunt wore at the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the big, thick ones, like the the mullet. Uh, and And it was kind of just fun to watch. The players who were in this game, like if you think about the Mets, right? Okay, Keith Hernandez, sweet swing. That dude could have hit whatever. Daryl Strawberry, for sure. And then I saw Wally Backman come up, and I have no idea how Wally Backman survived. Like The, the swing he had, these guys, uh, not the stars probably, but anybody who was below superstar level, if you transported them to today- I think they would all have been eaten up by middle relievers. Like you could take the 1985 St. Louis Cardinals, who were a very good team, they'd lose 115 games. I'm 100% convinced of this.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, but, I mean, at the t- at the time, it was just like some guys just like there was no expectation they were hit. They would hit for power. Wally Backman had 10 home runs in his career. Like it just was like, okay, you know, he's just going to try and hit singles. He will not try and hit any extra base hits. Um, I mean, the Mets 108 games with him as a regular second baseman, and Rafael Santana who hit like 205 um, with no power, playing shortstop. At least, you know, Backman hit for average and had an eye on base percentage, so that was like sort of his his uh, his saving grace. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a different. It's kind of like it almost feels like watching a high school game.
1: If you look at uh, uh, Gooden's line for this game, Dwight Gooden's line, so it was a one-one tie into the twelfth inning. Uh, pitching pretty well, right? And he actually got to pitch ten innings, which you know is is really hard to think about right now. He only gave up one earned run, so you're thinking to yourself, okay, Dwight Gooden, one earned run in ten innings. Uh, he must have been absolutely dealing, and perhaps he was. How many strikeouts do you think he had over ten innings and thirty-eight batters faced? I'm I'm hoping you don't actually have the box square up in front of you, or you aren't looking. How many strikeouts?
0: I don't, but I'm going to guess like five,
1: four, <laughs> four <laughs> strikeouts, nine hits. Uh, two walks, four strikeouts. In order to get into the tenth inning today, allowing one run, I feel like you must have had like twenty-three strikeouts, <laughs> conservatively.
0: Uh, yeah, no, another game I watched from that from that postseason was um, Game Seven of the nineteen of the World Series, which is actually kind of an underrated game because like Game Six is sort of the famous game, but Game Seven was kind of wild too. The Red Sox went up three nothing in that game. Daryl Strawberry tried to rob a home run; it hit his glove, and then he hit the wall and it bounced over the fence. Like this was like the kind of play that like if the Mets lose is like, could be an iconic moment of like, Oh, that's how close they came to win the world series. Like he had a home run robbed and it came out of his glove. So there was that. And then um, Keith Hernandez had like a big hit, which I think um, in the piece you're working on, the Mets were down three, nothing bases loaded. Keith Hernandez has a two run single, which I think by championship win probability added, you told me is the, the number one play in Mets postseason history. Did I get that right?
1: It is. I don't have the details of it in front of me, but yes that that hit more than any other hit in Mets history, uh, even more than any other play. You would have assumed probably the Mookie Wilson play, right? Uh, the or the Bill Buckner error. But everybody forgets that the Mets come back and win Game Six, and then they were down three nothing in Game Seven, and the Red Sox blew that lead too. Like nobody remembers that, and so Keith Hernandez getting this hit that was the biggest postseason play in Mets history.
0: Um, as an aside, like. Keith Hernandez, I think I've got to win in the Keith Hernandez rabbit hole after this because I started like, because in, in game three, they, when I was watching the game three of the NLCS, they flashed a stat, which was like when he was up, it was like Keith Hernandez led the majors with a 458 on base percentage in the second half of the season. And I was like, that can't be right. That sounds crazy. Like a 458 OBP for a half season in 1986. Like, no way. Sure enough. It's true. Keith Hernandez had a 458 OPP in the second half in 1986, 38 points higher than any other National League player that year. Uh, Tim Raines was at 420. And it got me thinking about Keith Hernandez. It actually kind of surprises me in retrospect that he never had more of like Hall of Fame support. He was on the ballot, I think, for nine years, never got more than 11% of the vote. To be clear, I'm not necessarily saying he should be in the Hall of Fame, like you would think there would be like a very strong like base of support for him he was an MVP he was a star player on two championship teams 82 Cardinals and the 86 Mets um you know considered the best defensive first baseman possibly ever just kind of like an icon for you know various reasons even you know when he was on the ballot was like during like he didn't he didn't get on the ballot till after the Seinfeld thing so like Clearly, he'd already become sort of this, like, pop culture icon. Um, I know he didn't have big home run numbers or um, didn't get 3,000 hits, but he did actually – he did finish um, in uh, – he finished fourth in the NL MVP voting in 1986 with the Mets, despite the fact that he only hit 13 home runs and drove in an 83 runs. So, clearly, he was, like, valued as a player. People saw him um I didn't even realize actually his first. I didn't even realize his first year with the Mets in '84. He finished second in the NL MVP voting. He actually led the '86 Mets in wins above replacement, um, which I think most people probably don't realize. Followed by Lenny Dexter and Ron Darling. Um, I would not have guessed that until I looked it up. So it sort of surprised me that Hernandez never got more, um, more, uh, more Hall of Fame so- support. And further, sort of cements. Uh, I think I talked about this with Jeter never winning an MVP. That you know that the idea of East Coast bias, I think, might be a little bit. Uh, little bit overblown i would have thought he at least would have got would have been one of more of those players who got into like the 50 percent range and was like hotly debated but like he got basically no support
1: yeah a little bit ahead of his time right and like if i'm just eyeballing this quickly one two three four five years with an on base percentage over 400 and a couple more at 396 397 but never hit 20 homers in a season uh 162 homers for a first baseman is pretty low and i mean just speaking completely from my own point of view I only remember like the end of career kind of bad knees hobbling around, spent a year in Cleveland for some reason, Keith Hernandez. I don't, I was too young, I think, to see like peak Keith Hernandez, but watching him in that 86 game, um, the swing was legit. Like I I agree with you that you should have gotten more support. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is another game I watched. I know these have ended up all being Mets games. We're going to talk about not on purpose. We just both live in New York and that's what's on TV right now is SNY played the first game home game after the September 11th attacks. So in 2001, uh, they played the Braves and that would have been on September 21st. Uh, You know, I think uh, emotional game, famous game, everybody kind of remembers some big hits in that game. And what struck me about that is that looked sort of like modern baseball to me, like in a way that the 80s games didn't, you know? (laughs) like Maybe it's because it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I think Albert Poulos was a rookie in 2001 and he's still active. So my question to you is, when did we go from old baseball to current baseball, like the guys from 86, most of them looked like 100 years ago, where the guys from 2001 seemed like uh, only slightly out of date, if that question makes sense to you.
0: um, I think, I mean, you know, people probably, you know, I'm sure some folks would sort of just tie directly to PEDs. Um, but it, it, I mean, it, it definitely feels like, you know, it definitely feels like the mid 90s when you start to see like there was like a, a class of power hitter that was like really um, just hitting the ball with more authority and deeper than like had been in the earth. you know, like, you know, when, when Mark McGuire first came up, he was sort of just like he and they were sort of like flukes. And then like by the mid nineties, there was, you know, uh, Bell and Sheffield and like, there was just like a whole, I mean like Greg Vaughn and Sosa, there was this whole like, class of Piazza, like class of players in Bagwell who just like really just punished the ball. And in response to that, I think you saw teams. That's what I, th- I think that was in many ways, more of the strategy of like really trying to stack your, your, your pitching staff, especially your bullpen with hard throwing guys. I was watching a little bit of that game at the end of that game last night, the 2001 game. And like, you know, Armando Benitez would not look out of place in a bullpen today, you know, like throwing 98 with like a nasty splitter. Um, I know he's kind of a punchline, but like at his peak, he was like a truly dominant reliever, and like he's like he was sort of the archetype of like the, the kind of like relievers that today are kind of a dime a dozen.
1: Uh, Matt and I are pretty soon going to get to a fun exercise where we come up with rosters for what could be an all-star game replacement. But before we do, I noticed some interesting tweets from some of the best pitchers in baseball, and I think this was started by Jack Flaherty. I, I apologize if I'm wrong, but that's the first one I saw, where he basically started this idea of. Uh, choose from any pitcher ever the best pitch in a five pitch arsenal. So like, which is which pitcher had the best fastball, best slider, curveball, changeup, et cetera. So he did one Walker Bueller replied, Ross Stripling got in the game, Adam Wainwright's in the game. There might've been others. And I thought that the, the answers here were pretty fun. So if you look at uh, let's say fastballs, right? Fly says, we this Chapman. That makes sense. Uh, Nolan Ryan from Stripling. You have uh, Adam Wainwright also saying Nolan Ryan. I think that's for his, his all time team. And Walker Buehler saying, Jacob Degrom, uh, do you think Jacob Degrom has the greatest fastball of all time? Because I I respect Walker Buehler a lot, but that is uh, an aggressive placement.
0: Yeah, I mean that. I mean that that definitely surprised me. It was I mean, it, it speaks to sort of Degrom's current dominance. I think someone named him for slider, and he also was named for fastball. So um, pretty uh, pretty uh, yeah, tie on named him for uh, slider for current for current pitchers. Yeah, I, I was surprised to see. Degrom uh, get a nod for uh, for for fastball. The one the fastball I liked pick was from uh, Wainwright uh, going with Greg Maddox because I think that like the um, the two seam fastball like to, to me Maddox like when he had that like two seam fastball that would sort of like he could front door to lefties was sort of like the first pick that 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 was like as I was like becoming a fan of like it sort of changed my view of like what pitchers could do. It was like, it was kind of like unlike anything to me It was unlike any other pitch that anyone else threw at the time. And is what made, uh, the diff- was a differentiator for me from addicts, from all, from all of the pitchers, uh, in his, in his peer group.
1: Yeah. Pretty much everybody of all these pitchers said Mariano Rivera for a cutter. Cause like, how could you not? Um, a couple of guys said Pedro Martinez for change up which I think makes a great deal of sense. Uh, Stripling went with Trevor Hoffman for a changeup. That also makes plenty of sense. My favorite one is when you get to sliders, right? So Wainwright said John Smoltz for a slider, sure. Uh, Flaherty said Jose Fernandez, uh, you know, at his breaking ball, which he's calling it a slider, whether or not it was called a curveball or not. And um, my favorite one without question is Walker Bueller, who mentioned Chaz Rowe for the best slider. Which <laughs> we've, I have loved Chaz Rowe. He's like a nondescript middle relievers He's kicked around, you know, Baltimore and a bunch of places. Now he's with Tampa Bay. He is, I'm pretty sure, number one on our, uh, our stack cast, like oh, a slider break leaderboards with like, you know, 12 or 15 inches above average. And it's almost like a circus pitch. But the fact that Walker Bueller said, of any pitcher ever, if I have to pick a slider, I'm going Chaz Rowe slash Clayton Kershaw. Um, that just tickles me in all the right ways. He also said his favorite curveball was Mountain. I know what that means. Do you know what that means?
0: Uh, Rich Hill, aka yeah, uh, Nick I also, I also, uh, I also got a kick. I got a kick out of that. I mean, to, for, for changeup, the only correct answer answer is Pedro Martinez. But Pedro Martinez is, was at his peak. His changeup was like a, it was like a, like a curveball. Like that's how much like movement it had on it. It was like it was it was obscene. So Hoffman's
1: not even in the conversation.
0: Not for me. No. Pedro was, was, Pedro's was just... was just, And that's just... It's not a knock on Hoffman. It just speaks to just how amazing um, Pedro was at his peak. I I'd like to think that Flaherty's exercise was inspired by a series of stories that um, we've been doing on MLB.com where some of our um, analysts are almost doing like a, a draft kind of thing of best pitches of each, of each class. So, you know, they did fastball. This was like David Adler, Sarah Langs, Matt Kelly, Andrew Simon, Tom Harrigan. They sort of like went through each of the pitches. So they, you know, first they did fastballs and then, um, which I enjoyed seeing a uh, Brandon Woodruff's four seamer on there. Cause that pitch is nasty. Then we had curveballs and, uh, sliders and cha- And, uh, the slider was the quote unquote first pick. And I think uh, as we record this on Wednesday, changeups are coming out on Thursday and then other is coming out on Friday. So we have uh, five days of best pitch. Um, and I'd like to think that Jack Flaherty was reading MLB.com and that is what has inspired him to, uh, to make his uh his selections.
1: As as I'm scrolling through here, I see that um Jameson tyon got into this game as well. Uh for all time he said Nolan Ryan, fastball, Kershaw, curveball, uh, Mariano Rivera, Cutter, Randy Johnson slider, Pedro changeup. That's that's a pretty solid five some right there. But I really liked his changeup pick among active pitchers, Luis Castillo. And that is a fantastic choice. I that is that is a pitch um that single-handedly I think has made Luis Castillo a star and I respect tie-on for getting in there with that he said gert cole for fastball aaron nola for for curveball um this <laughs> cory kluber for cutter and then in parentheses does he call it a cutter which i love nobody knows what that breaking ball is called i think we call it a slider i don't even remember it's a slider it's a curveball who even knows uh, what it is that Corey kluber throws and then degrom slider uh so maybe we're underrating jacob degrom i know that's a weird thing to say for a guy who's just won two Youngs. <laughs> is is he already like I don't know, is it insane to say he's one of the best pitchers of his generation of all time? Like are we are we underthinking this or overthinking
0: this? I think he's in that he right now he's in that sort of like, you know, that 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 sort of peak stretch where he's having like, you know, an all-time great peak. It sort of reminds me of uh Johan Santana. Um and then it's more about like, okay, if he's going to like extend this into a Hall of Fame career, whereas like Santana burned, you know, was injured and kind of faded out when he was in his early 30s, like is DeGrom going to be able to sort of extend this into um uh you know into his 30s and sort of put himself on a hall of fame track sort of like you know you know two years ago if we were doing this conversation chris sale probably would have been showing up on these lists but you know now he's been battling injuries he's having tj and what's what's one what once looked like a potential hall of fame career is probably not going to be one but you know obviously you never know a lot of pitchers who end up making the hall of fame do a lot of their damage one to their 30s so maybe there's a second act to chris sale's career that um we're not, uh, we're, you know, that we'll have to wait and see. One thing I love about stuff like this, it's just like, it's great when you could see like players as fans and as like students of the game. So like, it's clear that they were like excited to kind of like share their lists and that these, you know, you got to see like how much thought they put into it. And like, they're clearly on top of this in like a way that sometimes, you know, you worry that players are maybe a little bit just like, oh, I'm great at this. I'm a great player, but I don't really care once I'm off the field. To study the history of the game, or to study my peers, but like at least the the players that participated in this were clearly all in and are, and are like geeking out about you know the best pitchers and the best pitches.
1: Um, I agree with that fully, and I, I, I assume that there is probably like an internal group text that is going around between these guys who don't want to tweet it who are uh, and I, I I really hope because nobody did this on the Twitter I really hope somebody picked themselves you know who said you know what I've got the best slider come at me with that. Let's uh, let's have some fun. I've been thinking about this for a little while. We are you know, we are scheduled to have on July 14th at Dodger Stadium, the All-Star game. Obviously, the season has not started. We don't know when it's going to start. We don't know if we'll be having baseball by that time. But I was thinking about this. Even if we have baseball by then, having an All-Star game, uh, a traditional version of it will be kind of weird because how in the world? Would you have had enough baseball to pick the best players of the first half of the season? Like, you couldn't, you couldn't possibly do it. But what would be kind of fun, um, and again, this is all just hypothetical and speculative. We're just kind of filling some podcast time here. What if that game and that weekend, instead of being an all star game, was a season kickoff, you know, like a celebration of baseball? And that could be kind of cool, but how would you pick the teams? You could have a fan vote, you could have the commissioner come up with a panel, you could do all those things. But I don't think there's any good way to satisfy people. So what I thought would be kind of fun is if we came up with some sort of formula, because it's not really about just who were the best players in the first couple months or right now. It's really about who are you know the most notable and best and most interesting players in baseball, even if they are superstars with big names who are not necessarily uh, in their prime anymore. So Matt is going to be the National League. I'm going to be the American League. And we're going to take you through how these rosters came out, I think. For a formula I whipped together, it's like 95% cool. And then there's a couple of names on there, particularly in Matt's starting rotation, where it's like, okay, might need to tweak this a little bit, but that's okay. This isn't intended to be perfect. Uh, It's going to be a little bit of fun. So let me explain to you the rules here. Um, We can't obviously just do a a real-world roster entirely based on wins above replacement. like The general fan base will not accept it, but you got to start somewhere. So here's what I did. We're going to have 36-man rosters. We are going to pick the top 10 hitters and top 10 pitchers by 2019 wins above replacement fan graph style. I said we would go with any did you do, active did you do winner. It
0: in each league or just the top 10 total total, okay. total.
1: Uh, any active winner of a major award, which is MVP Cy Young or rookie of the year. This is the one that gets me in trouble a little bit. Um, any any player not included in those first two categories who has made an all-star team five times. And then my favorite part, let's get some young guys in here. I went with the top five hitters, prospects on, MA- on MLB Pipeline, and the top two prospect pitchers on MLB Pipeline. I put all that together, and then what we came up with was that, um, oh, we were still including the same rule that every team must be represented. So when I did all that, Matt's National League team had five spots to fill. My American League team had one spot to fill. So I considered those uh, manager's choices. We had to make sure every team was repped, and then also we got to pick a couple of guys for fun. Um, a quick note here. Guys who qualified but were injured are not included, so Chris Sale, Michael Fulmer. Guys who are qualified and who are technically active but are probably not actually going to play much, if at all, uh, Dustin Pedroia, Carlos Gonzalez, Matt Kemp, Russell Martin. I kind of skipped over those because they might not uh, play again. So um, Matt... How do you like your team? Like as a, as an overview, before we get into the details, are you satisfied? Do you think it's a good team? Would you be, would you be happy to see this team kicking off baseball representing your national league?
0: Uh, most definitely, especially once I get to read my, my starting lineup at the end of all this, but when we go, (laughs) when we get to go go position by position and we can maybe go position by position and we can, well, then at the end, we'll, we'll give our, uh, our, uh, our starting lineup. So for me, for, for my catchers, um, Buster Posey and yadi and Molina kind of classics, you know, they're, they're not what they once were, but if you're doing like a, a celebrate the game, you, you're not going to do better than those two names.
1: Yeah. Okay. no. So with all, with all
0: with all due respect to JT Realmuto, like, you know, Posey and Molina, like th- those are the icons of a, a catcher of this generation.
1: I, I was actually a little surprised that when we got to your, uh, you know, five selections at the end, you didn't go with Realmuto, Muto, um, but I guess you don't really need a third catcher in this. So the way that they qualified here, Posey, uh, one rookie of the year and Yadier Molina has made an all-star game at least five and, times.
0: And Posey has won an MVP too.
1: As, as just as well. Um, I think my catching group is pretty fun. I'm, I'm missing a name I really wanted to have, but Gary Sanchez will be my starter. And I, I think that makes sense. He's one of the best hitting catchers in baseball. Salvador Perez would be uh, one of my catchers just because he's made the all-star team uh, many times. I'm not super thrilled about that one, but I'm really happy with the third one. And this is kind of why I wanted to get the MLB pipelines guys in there my Baltimore Orioles representative will be Adley Rutschman top prospect. Adley Rutschman will be one of my catchers. That's awesome. Like that's kind of the whole idea for me is to get, uh, not just like the, the guys, you know, the past the present, but also the future. And so I think that's cool. And I think we're off to a good start here, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, first base, um, Pete Alonso, rookie of the year, obvious choice. Um, and then you yeah, then end up with, um, Joey Votto and Paul Votto was an MVP and Goldschmidt, I guess is the five, the five all-stars as a result this is why i was not able to because of the three like first baseman already is why i didn't pick josh bell as one of my pirate as my pirate pick because it one of my manager's choices had to be a pirate and also why freddie freddie freeman did not make the cut so freddie freeman was a tough a tough omission
1: my uh (laughs) my first base group are they all kind of fit the same archetype which is that they are righty righty they are over 30 and I don't really want any of them playing defensively, but I don't have much of a choice. Uh Jose Abreu, who I had forgotten one rookie of the year, and then two inner circle all-time elite hall of famers who get in uh due to the MVP requirement and the five-time All-Stars and the top five career war. Uh Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera. Now, I have names. I think you might have better players right now.
0: Um Yes. I think there's, I think, there, I think there's no question. If we were drafting, I think I would, if we were drafting the sixth first baseman, I think that mine would be the top three picks.
1: Uh, yes, that's absolutely true. And man, how tough is it? Yeah. You said no bell, no Freddie Freeman, uh, no Anthony Rizzo on your team. And this happens every year at the all-star game, right? There's just never enough room for all these. You are second baseman.
0: Ketel um, Marte, which I feel very good about. And Gavin Lux says it's one of the prospect spots. So that's a, that's a fun, that's a fun, that's a fun duo. I, uh,
1: I, I, was a little flexible with my rule here. So number one for me is Jose Altuve in my at second base in the American League. That makes a ton of sense. Number two is one of my pipeline guys is actually Tampa Bay Rays, super duper prospect Wander Franco. I'm going to consider him a second baseman for the purposes of this argument. I know he's a shortstop, but he's been playing a couple other positions in the minors. Altuve and Wander Franco, I dare you to beat that. <laughs> that is such a good combination. Um, but when we get, I'm just looking at our sheet now. When we get to the outfield for both of our teams, it, it is, a disgusting level of talent, but shortstop for you. Will you have one guy who qualified because he won rookie of the year and then you used two of your manager's picks at shortstop?
0: Yeah, uh, actually, the uh, my, probably maybe my third string shortstop was the only one that actually qualified was uh, was Corey Seager by virtue of winning rookie of the year. Um, and so when I looked at my manager's choices, I was like, ah, I kind of got to, you know, I got to spice this up a little bit. And there are just two players I just really wanted to have on for just kind of the fun factor, the excited factor. This is a celebration of baseball to me you can't have this game without javier baez like probably like the most like kind of like the best like baseball's best like kind of quote-unquote streetball player um and then after that fernando tatis jr so i kind of had to take both those guys so uh i like i like i like my, I like my group and uh, cedar might not, might not see the field in this game Maybe, maybe if, only because it's a dodger stadium uh...
1: True. I'm uh, somewhat disappointed in my American League shortstops, and I I don't mean that. I have three amazing names here, right? Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, and Marcus Semyon. Semyon qualified because he was top 10 in wins above replacement last year. So did Bogarts. And then Carlos Correa uh, won the Rookie of the Year. You'll notice I'm missing somebody kind of important here. Do you know who I'm talking about? Who's not going to make my team? Francisco. How do I have this team without Francisco Lindor?
0: I'm, a bit of a, I'm crushed. A bit of a hole in the process.
1: Yeah, and and so the flaw here is that when I went through my formula, you know, you had five spots to fill. I only had one free spot, and I didn't have a Marlin. Uh, excuse me, a Mariner. So I had zero flexibility. um Landor has made only four All Star teams. He has never won MVP. uh He did not win the Rookie of the Year. He came in second in his first year. So I may need to like stretch the rules and just make a special spot specifically for Francisco Lindor. Um, that's a flaw for me. I mean, I have three good players, right? Correa, and Semyon are fantastic. Now, when we move to third base, this actually uh, it frees up a little bit because the best, or arguably best, National League third baseman of the last few years is now my problem, and <laughs> they're in tones in the American League. So you get uh, you get an open spot here. How do you? How did you end up at third base?
0: Uh, I've got. Uh... Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, and Evan Evan Longoria, who gets there by right, very right, right, virtue of winning a rookie of the year. Is that uh Uh yes he did. Um so Longoria is definitely maybe maybe one of the, the weaker links on this squad, but I feel good about uh about uh Bryant and uh and Arenado.
1: So yeah, no Justin Turner there, no Manny Machado there. I think you would prefer both of those over Longoria. My third baseman, I have to say, are so deep. They they're so deep that my uh, my inability to include Matt Chapman doesn't actually bother me that much, even though I think Matt Chapman is fantastic. My third baseman are Alex Bregman, Anthony Rendon, and Josh Donaldson. How can I even argue with any of those guys?
0: That's a it's a pretty good, pretty good group. Are you, are, you gonna, are you gonna? I guess we'll wait and see if you cheated for your uh, for your starting lineup and put one of those guys at first base. But
1: uh... oh wait, that is definitely a thing I should consider doing. <laughs>
0: I, think for <laughs> no, the, I didn't. For the integrity of the uh, exercise, I just <laughs> stayed there. Um, so then I guess, should we go to Adfil-Max or DH?
1: Uh, let's do DH. So obviously, you know, it's a, a National League park. There's probably not going to be a DH. But since I've already had to put Cabrera and Pujols at first base, I'm telling you I needed a DH spot here. Uh, your two DHs in, in the National League?
0: They're 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 definitely legacy picks and I, I wouldn't even intend on starting them in the lineup at DH. Uh Roman Zicano who gets in there the via the the five all star rule and Ryan Braun who uh who won an MVP.
1: Uh for me, uh last year's rookie of the year, Jordan Alvarez and uh, Nelson Cruz, who also is in the, the five plus all star game. I'm happy with both of those guys. <laughs>
0: Uh, it's a pretty nice duo. Uh, yeah, the outfield is just is just silly because it, like it's the first
1: disgusting.
0: You look, at, you look at the National League outfield and it's like, oh, Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger. Oh yeah, and I forgot Mookie Betts is in the National League now. <laughs> so that that leaves me. So those guys are automatic locks. They get in, and then the other ones who make it in by virtue of the MVP are uh, Philly teammates Bryce Harper and uh, Andrew McCutchen, um, and then Ronald Acuna and Will Myers make it as Rookies of the year. Well, Myers is also kind of one of the weak links of the team. And then I had to use one of my uh, managers' picks on Juan Soto. Like Juan Soto has to be on this team. If, if I have room, for him, if I have room for him, he has to be on the team. So uh, I had a spot, so I, I put him on. So it's kind of ridiculous.
1: You have eight outfielders. Uh, clearly, Myers is the weakest. Right? Is like Ronald Acuna your sixth best outfielder? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think he's he's fifth. I, I think I'd put McCutcheon at seventh and Harper at sixth, and Acuna at five. Uh, even
1: even so, your your second level outfield, like your backup outfield, is Soto, Harper, and Acuna. Yeah,
0: that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, like if, um, if, if, Soto, if Soto, Harper, and Acuna finish top three in N L M V P this year, like no one would be surprised. <laughs>
1: <laughs> My outfield, I guess it's not that deep. I went, uh, I ended up with seven outfielders, and as I'm looking at it now. Uh, four of them made my team uh, via the formula and three of them, let's see, two of them were prospect picks from the MLB pipeline list and one of them was the Mariner I had to choose. So obviously Mike Trout is on this team, no question about that. George Springer is on this team and Aaron Judge is on this team. That is my starting outfield. I think that is just what the starting AL, all-star game outfield would be anyway without bets, right? Trout, Springer, Judge. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton also shows up because he's won an MVP. These names, my other names, are really fun. Uh, Two of the prospect pipeline guys here: Joe Adele and Luis Robert. Very happy about that. And then my last pick, I had to come up with a mariner. And I thought about this, like, well, I like Mitch Haniger, I like D Gordon. You know what? Let's go off the map here. Let's dip into the minors. I know this is going to twist the uh, the knife in any Mets fans' hearts here. Jared Kelnick is on my team. we want to showcase the future too right i'm not yeah, mad about that
0: if, if you're if you're picking a Mariner, he's he's definitely i don't he's definitely the right choice but he's a a very good choice uh especially if, so, you, if you only have six outfielders already and you know, you know we're one another outfielder that's uh that makes sense
1: now you may notice that matt had eight outfielders and i had seven outfielders we do have equal 36 man rosters um i saved myself one special spot of my 36 that matt did not because Shohei Otani qualifies for this list and I, I had to have him on this team uh you know he won rookie of the year I have him in a special Otani spot uh
0: it's it's it, it, this game would not be the same without Otani so I'm glad I'm glad you got him on there uh All right. pitcher, pitchers pitchers <laughs> you know pitchers are kind of ridiculous um because you have the you have what you want at the top right you've got DeGrom, you've got Scherzer you've got Strasburg you've got Kershaw um that's all great but then it gets kind of weird because <laughs> <laughs> we're including all active players who won awards which means that rick parcello come on down
1: <laughs> i feel so bad about felix hernandez being on this team but the thing is felix is so cool he's a, he's an icon
0: right so like felix in this game to me makes a lot more sense than this is like when the nba they like they put Dwayne wade in the all-star game his last year just because like he's Dwayne wade it's like felix like Awesome, i like Rick Porcello, like really. Um, then you have David Price, who I guess is still kind of good, but he's still just like not what he was. And you also get Jake Jake Arrieta, who's you know maybe kind of broken because he had that ridiculous year where he won Cy Young. Um, so the uh, the pitching staff is definitely a little weird. And then you had you had John Lester, who gets the five the um, the gets in because of the five All Star games. Same reason you get in Craig Kimbrell. and then. I was left without any Pirates or Marlins. And I kind of had to get creative, right? So I thought for Marlin, I love, I'm a, a, I shouldn't say love, but like one of my personal favorite players in baseball is Corey Dickerson. I think he's just kind of like oddly underrated and good, but I couldn't justify taking Corey Dickerson with the outfield that I have. And so I was like, all right, well, like, who do they have as pitchers? That might be interesting because, you know, in an all-star game, you always want extra arms. And like, there's no one on their major league staff who's like, that exciting they've got interesting like good, like good young pitchers but not like dynamic and then there's Sixto Sanchez who's a really highly rated prospect but like he just he just wasn't doing it for me so I went way off the board for the Marlins and I took um relief pitcher Edward Cabrera who the <laughs> a
1: pitcher I have definitely heard of
0: um the number 85 prospect on movie Pipeline's uh top 100 what's great about Edward, Edward Cabrera is that he's just like I just love the idea of like this game happening and like some giant six foot four guy coming in who you've never heard of, like throwing hundred miles per hour, and everyone just being like, "Who the heck is this guy?" You know, he's like he's legit. He's a very good prospect. Um, uh, he had uh, ninety six innings last year, one hundred sixteen Ks, thirty one walks at uh, between two levels uh so uh, he is a starter but there there might be a reliever reliever profile so it's just like you know what i'm going for the guy who throws insanely hard who's enormous who might come in and just kind of surprise people um and then for my pirates pick as i mentioned i thought about josh bell but like already had the reverse baseman it didn't really make any sense um so i went with Kyle Crick who's kind of you know we talked about chaz roe earlier in the show about with just this like ridiculous slider and Kyle Crick is kind of the same profile. He was amazing in 2018. He was on the Gi- I can't He was on the Giants and got traded to the Pirates. Like which trade was he in? He was
1: he in, was in the, the McCutcheon trade with him. Brian Reynolds.
0: He was in the McCutcheon trade. Um he was not as good last year, but still had a expected batting average against per stat cast in the top ten percent. So like his command is definitely an issue, but he can make even the best hitters of baseball look foolish. And I was like, who better for an all-star game than some guy who coming in throwing in wiffle ball sliders?
1: I just realized that this game that's full of amazing super studs is gonna come down to the final at bat, and it's gonna be Edward Cabrera versus Salvador Perez. (laughs) Also, (laughs) by the way, that that trade, I know Pirates fans were upset to see McCutcheon go. McCutcheon for Brian Reynolds and Kyle Crick, underrated, fantastic trade. (laughs) We don't talk about that one enough. Uh, All right. so you are you're sorry, sorry, you're gonna interrupt. You're uh, you have one more guy. You have your pipeline guy.
0: Oh, McKenzie Gore. He was uh, he was automatically qualified for by virtue of being one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. Yeah, I totally totally uh, glossed over him. He's definitely one of the more fun names on this list. It's kind of wild that this team ended up with three Padres, um, <laughs> but uh, they have you know because of Myers, they got Myers Gore and uh, and Tatis.
1: So you have a 13 man pitching staff of Degrom, Porcello, Strasburg, Scherzer, Felix Hernandez, Kershaw, Price, Arietta, McKenzie Gore, John Lester. Craig Campbell, Kyle Crick, and Edward Cabrera. Uh, I know somebody will ask, why did I include Felix Hernandez and not the other guys who were kind of at the tail end, like Carlos Gonzalez and Matt Kemp? Uh, because I think Felix Hernandez was actually going to start the season in the Braves rotation. I think he was going to get some time. So that's oh, why. I mean,
0: he, he, was, he was he was signed sort of ostensibly to be a, a back-end starter. And, was, and whatever you think of spring training stats was like pitching well in spring training. So yeah, he was lined up to make the roster, I think.
1: Okay, so my pitching staff is a little bit different. I think some of the names here are pretty obvious. So Justin Verlander makes this list pretty obviously. He qualifies for like three different reasons. He's one of size, one an MVP wins above replacement, all of it. Um, and Zach Greinke is also there because uh, he has also, I can't remember what he qualified for. Cy Young. Okay. Garrett Cole makes a ton of sense. He is a wins above replacement guy and are Chapman. I was kind of surprised to see uh, pops up there because he has made an all-star game at least five times. I have two Tampa Bay rays. I have, Charlie Morton and I have Blake Snell. Blake Snell won a Cy Young and Charlie Morton was a top 10 wins above replacement guy last year. I have two Texas Rangers and neither of them are Mike Miner, surprisingly. Uh, Corey Kluber, who yes, was traded to the Texas Rangers, won a Cy Young. And Lance Lynn. I believe that's true. And Lance Lynn, uh, who was a top 10 wins above replacement guy last year, as was Lucas Giolito. So far so good. Uh, Here's my like Brick Porcello version. I'm not stoked about having Dallas Keuchel on this team. I guess it's fine. You know, he's not an ace like these guys are, uh, but he won a Cy Young, so he, he qualifies. I'm very excited about Shane Bieber, who uh, was a, a top 10 2019 wins above replacement guy. I think we talked a couple of shows ago about how a bunch of hitters named Shane Bieber as the guy they thought was going to be like the most successful pitcher of the next decade. And then I also have a pipeline prospect pitcher in here from Detroit, Casey Mize, who I think is a really fun name. And then also Shohei Otani. So my pitching staff, Verlander, Granke, Cole, Chapman, Morton, Snell, Kluber, Lynn, Gilito, Keuchel, Bieber, and Mize, and Otani. Um, I really wanted to try to get like Nick Anderson on this team. I just couldn't find a room. Um, I really wanted to get Yasmani Grandal over Sal Perez, but I needed the Royal. Obviously, Lindor is a miss. Chapman and Olsen from Oakland would have been nice, but there's just not room for everybody here. So I admit that Lindor is a whiff. I would probably need to tweak the inputs a little bit to figure out a way to make sure he's there. Um, These are cool teams. If we were like kicking off a baseball season and these were the teams, and you had obvious Hall of Famers like Cabrera and Pujols and Kershaw, and right now superstars like Trout and Rendon, and the next generation of guys, whether it's, you know, Pete Alonso and Juan Soto or, you know, Jared Kelnick or Mackenzie Gore, is this a good way to kick off a baseball season? I, I think I like to think it's yes.
0: It'd be fun. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that, you know, you mentioned Lindor. I think it probably, if you were trying to like, sort of make some like logical subs, I'd probably put him in for Correa just because like, there's already a bunch of Astros on the team and Simeon is right now the only A on the team. So like, that's where i probably put him in. On I mean, the on my side, the big misses are like Freddie Freeman, but then again, in a world where you have Alonzo Vato and Goldschmidt, it's kind of like, it's not that crazy. Um, and then for pitchers, the big, the big misses would be you know, Walker Bueller or Jack Flaherty, who you definitely want to sub in for the likes of, oh, I don't know, Rick Porcello. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and no Josh Hader too, don't forget.
0: Oh yeah, no Josh Hader too. Um, so you, you want to sub in Hader for Kimbrel maybe at this point, and... Um, and Bueller for Porcello and maybe Flaherty for Felix or Arietta. Those would be sort of the obvious, um, the obvious ones. But beyond that, like, you know, Jeff McNeil's kind of a miss. So yeah, you maybe want to take him over Cano if you could, but then again, Cano is kind of an icon in the game. So it's not like, it's not so, so wild. I really enjoyed putting together a fake lineup. I put together my starting lineup for this game, um, for this fake game. It actually got me kind of excited just to like think about imagining putting together this lineup. And even like I was able to satisfy my, I'm a bit when it, I'm not OCD about many things, but if I were a manager filling out a lineup card, I would definitely be OCD about going left, right, left, right as much as I could. Um, and I was able to do that here. So I let off the Mookie bats in right field, Christian Yelich, in left field, Pete Alonzo first base, Cody Bellinger, center field, Nolan Arenado, third base, Juan Soto, DH, Avi Baez, shortstop, Ketan Marte, second base, and Yanni Molina, catcher, with Jacob Degrom, starting pitcher.
1: Betts, you know, Alonzo Bellinger, Arenado Soto as your top six. Um, that is absolutely disgusting. I, I did this as well. And now I'm sort of mad at myself. I didn't think to put Josh Donaldson at first base or something. But anyway, I'll stick with what I had. Uh, Altuve leading off at second base. Trout in center field. Mike Judge. Excuse me. Mike Judge. Jesus, Aaron Judge. Um, uh, Mike Judge. <laughs> from the out, teams. You know. Yeah, exactly. Right. He can. You can. Uh, I, I'm going to go watch Idiocracy later, I guess. Um uh, Aaron Judge batting third in right field, uh, Alex Bregman cleaning up at third base, George Springer left field fifth, Jordan Alvarez DH at sixth, Gary Sanchez catching seventh, Carlos Correa shortstop eighth, and finally Jose Breu batting ninth at first base. I feel like your lineup's probably a little bit better. Did you try to sneak Luis Perdomo into
0: your bullpen? He was definitely a tough, a tough omission on my part, but uh, <laughs> you do what you got to do. You gotta, I tried to maintain the integrity of the game.
1: So I, yeah, I mean, really, I think I got to figure out a way to get Lindor onto this team, and if I can do that, then then this is good. You can you can start a season this way. You can have a baseball celebration, and also uh, you can have a pretty good home run derby with just these guys. You know, you got a you got Alonzo there. Um, you know, Miguel Cabrera would probably be pretty fun in a home run derby. Springer, Judge, Stanton, obviously. I don't think this is actually what's going to happen, and I don't know what is going to happen. Um, but I'm glad we did this. I I enjoyed thinking about putting together. Uh, a baseball roster and uh, thanks for playing along with me Matt. I hope yeah, you are fun, fun, fun with this. Fun idea for sure. Um, that's our show for this week. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. We'll be back in a couple of days with another edition. Thanks for listening.